Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and it is Friday, so you know what that means. Nora's back. Nora, great to see you. And it's good to see you as well, Tate. It's I'm fired up. I mean, we got the Spotify wrapped. You know, they're all coming out today. Everyone's putting out their music. Before we get to our power rankings, you know we love the power rankings. I have to ask, uh, you are our you know Taylor Taylor Swift expert here on the show. Um, did so you I've feel pressure that that Taylor Swift has to be number one on your Spotify wrapped? I, I was wondering about this because if she isn't, do you think that like people will come after you or whatever? Like, and did it check out? Did the numbers add up for you? It was never in doubt. Okay. Taylor Swift has been my number one Spotify wrapped artist, I believe, since wrapped existed. Mm. Uh, my number one song, a deep cut, hits different. Ooh. Um, I was, I will say this. I will say this. I uh, was not in, I have been as high as in the top half of a percent of Taylor Swift listeners before. I believe that is my high watermark. I was in the top 2% this year, which is low for me. I think Whoa. that was the first time that I was outside the top 1%. I will say in my defense, uh, I, I moved in with my boyfriend this year. So we split like whose music we're listening to mm. or like which Spotify account we're using. And I think that hurt me. I do believe that like actually I am in the top 1%. I will not let go of that. But according to my Spotify wrapped, I fell off a little bit. Not in terms of who I was listening to the most, but in in my total number of minutes listening to Taylor Swift. Although part of that is because I have to podcast about her so much that, you know, Mm. it takes a lot of time off my plate. That's less listening hours. So And you do have a fall guy. You you can't blame the boyfriend. The the boyfriend is taking you away from Taylor Swift. uh, And she has a boyfriend. He's not taking me away from Taylor Swift. He's playing Taylor Swift. (laughs) Okay. It's just that we're we're still playing Taylor in our home. But we're, you know, when we're on the speakers, it mm. might be on his Spotify instead of mine. Oh, if we're yeah. Driving oh, I get you. I get Spotify you. You're having to share. Mine. Yeah, you're sharing duties here. So it's not as we're much as you typically votes, would. Essentially. Right. I get it. I get it. Well, it makes sense. I just want to check out, you know, and talk about that quickly. But uh, my number one artist was Future yet again. So shout out to the Future Hive. Uh, you know, you got to have mm. a strong no. fan base. Tough, I'm, tough I'm, break for Russell Wilson. I know, but well, you know, he's hot right now. He's hot, so my Spotify rap doesn't matter right now. Russell Wilson is winning the war. Let's talk about football. Uh, you brought it. We brought it up. We talked about the Broncos. The other team that is hot right now in the NFL, of course, is the Philadelphia Eagles. And if we look at the Ringers' power rankings, of course, the Eagles are sitting there at ten and one. They are number one in the power rankings. We have the Chiefs there at number two, and we have the 49ers at number three. And we get a rematch this weekend uh, of the NFC Championship game. We get a, a healthy Brock uh, Purdy that's going to go out there and take on this Eagles team. Let's start there. Eagles, 49ers. Is this to decide who is number one in the Ringer Power Rankings? I love to ask that question first and foremost. <laughs> I do think it might be. I don't know. I, I'm curious if the 49ers win this game, if they would move to the number one spot. I mean, by the transitive property, you would think. But I wonder if it might sort of muck things up enough that we Ringer Power Rankings voters would just put the Chiefs back at the number one spot and move the Eagles down a little bit, let it be a little murky right there at the top of the NFC and and therefore elevate the best AFC team to the top of the Power Rankings. Mm. I think that could happen. Uh, but if the Eagles win this one, I think they very thoroughly cement themselves as the top team for, I think that would be a fifth or maybe even a sixth week in a row. Yeah. 
They're, I mean, they're on a run right now. They're on a tear. And the funniest part about the Eagles, right, is that their one loss is to the New York Jets. I mean, that is the thing that I, I keep coming back to that I can't believe that's the reality that we live in right now with this team and, and, and with the Ringer power rankings. Uh, but just in this game, I find the, the line is very fascinating, Nora. I mean, it's plus two and a half. The Eagles are playing at home. They're getting two and a half points. A lot of people are trying to figure out what Vegas knows. But I think what Vegas knows is that this 49ers team is on a tear right now. I mean, they lost three games in a row we all started questioning Brock Purdy and this team in general they make some trades before the deadline now they have a pass rush now they're winning games by double digits are we buying into the 49ers again being a real contender and is this weekend kind of the moment they can signify that to the rest of the league oh yeah I mean they're definitely look the 49ers to me are among the smallest handful of teams that that are not even to me teams that can win the Super Bowl. It's teams that seem like if they're not favorites, they're really strong contenders. Mm. Uh, I, I, this is the best passing offense in the league. I mean, I think, you know, I don't think that they like threw people off the scent necessarily with that three game losing streak completely. They're, of course, third in our power rankings. That's so a very good team. But I don't, I, I think it's, it, you know, there's always a little bit of a lag in public perception and they have completely rebounded from that skid with Trent Williams being healthier with Debo in the lineup. This is just a really scary team on both sides of the ball. Um, the trade for, for Chase Young, I do think uh, has really helped solve some problems defensively that they were having. So uh, I think that this is an evenly matched game. I think when you look at Philadelphia, it's not even like the matchup on paper it's a little bit more that they they just find ways to win games. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the actual, you know, rosters, you go one to 53 and uh, this is neck and neck to me. Yeah. Lane Johnson, also a question mark in this game. And, you know, it's something that, you know, a lot of people think that affected the line, him not being healthy uh, for this game. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. We have three NFC teams in the top five of the ring of power rankings. And I feel like if you talk to the casual fan, they seem to lean more towards an AFC team is going to win the Super Bowl this year. But right now, three of the top five is in the NFC. Let's talk about that third team at number five. A team that, you know, on Thanksgiving maybe sent a message to everybody else. Dak Prescott now in the conversation for MVP. Are we buying into the Dallas Cowboys there at number five? Yeah, I am. Um, I certainly think that they belong in that group of really strong Super Bowl contenders. I think Dak Number right two now passing offense, Nora. That's incredible. That, that's impressive and for Dak. Dak to me right now is the MVP, I think. And that has that has something to do with just the fact that offense as a whole has not been has been down a little bit this season so the strength of competition in in the MVP race is maybe not what it always has been but I I think he is really making the case I think the concerns about that offense and I will give credit to, to Mike McCarthy I think they have found ways to make it a little bit less restrictive on the quarterback as the season has gone on and it's really clicking now the strength of competition has not always been there but they have now begun what is a really tough stretch to close out the season. There are some questions about McCarthy, about this offense, about clock management, about play calling that are not going to be answered until it is the playoffs, until it is January. But they are going to be able to come as close as as possible over the last month or so of the year, I think, with the strength of competition that they're going to be facing relative to 
the sort of cupcake schedule that they absolutely beat up on in the earlier part of the year. They did exactly what you'd want a great team to do, which is win win games by, you know, by 30 points uh, was, mm-hmm. I think, their average home victory uh, might have been as of um, before their last game. But they were really demolishing bad teams at the start of the year. Obviously, the game against the 49ers, I think, gave people a lot of questions, but they've been playing great football since then and the rest of the schedule will really test them and show us who this team is yeah we're gonna learn a lot about the dallas cowboys very soon one other team that's in the top five i want to hit on quickly the ravens you and i have been high on the ravens i saw them in person against the chargers they have had the lead going into every fourth quarter this season so that says something about this team um are we kind of are the wheels starting to spin on the idea that the ravens can be a true super bowl team because even though the chargers had a chance in that game it does seem like fate is on their side and they end up winning these games more times than not yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they absolutely are. I think the group of teams that I think could win the Super Bowl, it's it's this top five, and then I would throw the Dolphins in there, and I would, I would throw Jacksonville in there too because of how mm. Trevor Lawrence has been playing lately. But I do think that if you wanted to cut it at five, you cut it with this group, and the Ravens are the last team into that. I, I think the result against the Chargers probably might have been a little bit more lopsided if – the Ravens were healthier in the wide receiver room. Um, health at this stage of the year has been a big question for this team. So there's a lot of sort of knock on wood stuff going on in Baltimore as as we get to the end of the regular season. But I think, you know, the defense has been among the best, if not the best in football. I think they are a really smart game plan defense. I think one of the most impressive things about Meg McDonald and this is going to be interesting as it relates to his candidacy for head coaching positions is just how well he seems to understand offense. He's a defensive coordinator, defensive coach who just really seems to understand offensive football and is able to design game plans and call plays in ways that are really smart from that perspective. And then with Lamar, they just are always going to have different things that, that they can do in order to, to score points. And yeah, he's special. health is the big question mark, but I, I just I really do believe in this team. Yeah, and the the one glaring omission, if you are you know looking at the Ringer Power Rankings and you're buying into the hottest team, we started that at the top talking about them, but the Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson, they have won five in a row. Are we you know they're playing at the Texans this week? Texans minus three and a half. Sean Payton, uh, he was asked about a score Gami this week, and he was like, I don't want to bring up the seventy point game. Seems like it's in the past. Are we buying the Broncos hype? Can the can the Broncos really make a backdoor run into the playoffs and make some noise? Are we buying the Broncos uh, <laughs> impressive turnaround or are we are we still having a conversation about the top five of the power rankings? Because if we are, the Denver Broncos don't belong anywhere near it. That's but I fair. do think that what they've been able to do this season is is impressive. Um, I think it's a little bit reliant on some turnover luck, some some uh, defensive just sort of breaks and good bounces that are not necessarily going to last, but they're also not turning the ball over on offense and they deserve credit for that. Uh, Russ has figured it out and Sean Payton has figured it out for Russ. So I think they deserve a lot of credit, not only for just not falling apart because it would be understandable if, if that team had done that after, you know, having 70 put on them and just the early results, they've really stuck together. And I think that's impressive, but I don't think that they, belong in 
the same conversation as the five teams that we just talked about and even sort of the next tier. But they've got a good shot to make the playoffs and the momentum that they have, definitely I could see them pulling pulling it off. Yeah, Russ is riding high right now. We do know that. So that's good news for all the Denver Broncos fans. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the, quote, unprecedented disaster of my Carolina Panthers. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. Still here with Nora. And Nora, you wrote a great piece on TheRinger.com. I did not like reading it. It hurt a little bit as someone that has uh, watched and pulled for the Carolina Panthers for the majority of my life. But you call this an unprecedented disaster under over, or under owner David Tepper. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversations about ownership in sports and who is the worst owner. It looks like, based on this article, David Tepper might be in that conversation. Now, let's start there. What's going on in Charlotte with David Tepper in this team oh my goodness gracious I mean not very much that's good I I just look Frank Reich you know I I wrote this story that that first of all thank you very much it's very nice of you great story uh but I was writing this story about sort of what's gone wrong under Tepper as an owner and a lot of it is tied obviously to the firing of of Frank Reich which gives Tepper now his sixth head coach in as many years of ownership basically it's just been a real string of knee-jerk firings there. Um, he's fired three coaches mid-season, and, and I just think that type of impulsive behavior from an owner is really, really concerning in terms of the long-term stability of, of an organization. Uh, but I had to acknowledge, I don't think Frank Reich was doing a very good job mm-hmm. as the Panthers head coach, and I think there were a lot of things working against him, but I also don't think that he was doing much to patch some of the holes but I also think that when you really look at it closely it still goes back to the organizational impulsiveness and what happens when an owner does change who's in that head coaching chair so often because if I if I were to say what I think the number one thing that Frank Reich has not done a good job at this season what I would say is that at the beginning of the year, if if I listed to you the things that made me optimistic about the Panthers, about Bryce Young's tenure there, or the start to his career, one of the first things that I would have said to you is, is I would have said, well, I think he's going to be decently well protected. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're worried about his size, but I think that offensive line is building towards something. And they've just been awful. And I think part of that is because, you know, players have been struggling, but you also have players like, you know, like Iki Kwanu comes to mind as someone who has displayed real ability and real talent, but he's a little undersized and he's just not the type of, of lineman that Frank Reich, you know, like the, the Eagles, the Colts, those are the, the prototypical Frank Reichy organizations. And those teams have big hulking beefy offensive lines. Mm-hmm. And so then you have a team that a, a coach who comes in and his philosophy doesn't mesh with the players. And now that happens every time you hire a new co- uh, 
maybe not every time, but that happens most times when you hire a, a new head coach to run an organization. But when you do it every other year or not even quite, then you're just, you're putting square pegs into round holes all the time. And that's a really good way to get less out of your roster than even a comparable coach would in a situation where there was just more consistency. And I don't think that David Tepper recognizes this at all. I I think he's really arrogant. I think he doesn't understand the fact that, you know, the secrets to good sports ownership, from my point of view at least, are kind of twofold. And one is write some big checks. And the second one is to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And he's certainly more than capable of spending a lot of money. He's he's got he's one of the deepest pocketed owners in the NFL, but he's just not willing to do the second part. And I think it's really hurting this franchise. Yeah, he likes to meddle in the football decisions, which has been a conversation, you know, for many people when it comes to his time with the Panthers. And when he took over and bought this team, this is a playoff level team. This is a team that had consistently competed for the NFC South. So he took over a franchise that you would think would only be going up. And it's been going the opposite way the entire time. And the best moments have been with interim coach Steve Wilkes or with Ron Rivera, who was under the old regime, right? So, I mean, that's the other tough part with this. There was one note that our, our producer Tucker highlighted, which I think was a great note to kind of describe the personality type that you're dealing with but quote this is a man who bought the Hamptons mansion of a Goldman executive who didn't promote him just to demolish it and build a new one he also said he would buy a restaurant and fire a waiter that was rude to him I mean these are some of the the, this man takes slights very personally and he acts on them in a very you know violent fashion right so like that's the character that you're dealing with can you speak to that a little bit because I don't think people from the outside looking in understand just how volatile so he can be at times. Well, yeah. So I think David Tepper came into the NFL with the reputation of being this super smart finance guy who was a little mm-hmm. bit of like a little bit of a quant. And that's 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 accurate. Like that's that's mm-hmm. objectively true. That is his background. He's done incredibly well in those fields. But I think there is this assumption or, or impression that he's kind of he's not emotional and that he would run a team in this very analytically driven way and he cares a lot about uh, analytics i think some of the decisions reich made towards the end in terms of kicking field goals or fourth down decisions definitely contributed to his getting fired so there are ways in which that's true but this guy is is super impulsive as a person um, the fact that he, you know, relies on data and relies on sort of analytical and not emotionally driven methods in some of his work, although a lot of a lot of his um, philosophy as a hedge fund manager has been to go with his gut and and to make sort of big bets that just feel right to him and, and stick it out. Um He's been very successful doing that, not so much as an NFL owner. (laughs) Obviously, they're different tasks. But I do think that, you know, maybe Panthers fans are are figuring it out. I don't think NFL fans necessarily got quite the right impression of the fact that this is a guy who has a history of being vindictive in spots, definitely 
petty, definitely a little bit paranoid, and definitely someone who is capable of a real knee-jerk reaction, especially because, and this is good in a lot of ways, right? But the money does not matter to him. He has a Mm. lot more to play with than not every NFL owner, but quite a few of them. So it doesn't matter for him to say, oh, whatever, I'll pay the Reich buyout, just like I'll keep paying Matt Rule and, and just turn around and do it. If something bothers him, he is just going to make that impulsive decision. And now maybe he will learn from the last six years and be a little bit more patient with the next guy. And maybe they'll get the higher right and and he won't have that impulse in the first place. But I do think that the personality <laughs> is – he's a lot. He, he's a lot. He kept a pair of – brass testicles on his desk for he might still do that like that's a very common David Tepper anecdote this guy is he's kind of a piece of work yeah to say the least and unfortunately for him uh, Dan Snyder no longer owns an NFL team so he is now going to get the focus and attention and the conversation about worst owner is going to keep coming up and you know to play devil's advocate a little bit I understand if he you know decided he wanted to take Bryce Young and then feels like the coaching staff is not supporting the guy that he decided to take and that's why he wants to move on maybe you know that's the reason why but the good news for all the Bryce Young fans like myself is that one game was against CJ Stroud so head to head Nora I don't see that put out there a, a lot you know one and oh against cj stroud that's true. So bryce young that knows when to step up that that's what we like to see uh speaking of quarterbacks we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna talk about aaron Rodgers. yep we're doing it again Welcome back to Through the Ringer. Still here with Nora. And every week we have stories that are wacky, wonky, crazy in the NFL. And we go to Nora and we say, Nora, please make sense of this or debunk this or or do, you know, put your magic on this and let us know what's actually going on. Um, the headline this week, as we know, Aaron Rodgers is cleared to practice. The 21-day window is open. This, of course, is 11 weeks after he had surgery on his Achilles tendon. We have talked about why he is trying to put this out there. There's a lot of conspiracy theories. These are things that Aaron Rodgers likes to live in. Um, what are your thoughts when you see the headline that Aaron Rodgers is about to practice again on an NFL field? Well, I mean, I guess not much in the sense that <laughs> I don't quite think this is as big of a deal as it seems like it is because Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers has said a couple of things about his return. Uh, one is that in order for him to come back and play, to make a you know miraculous, to complete this miraculous recovery timeline, he needs to be healthy enough to do it. But he's also said that the Jets need to be alive in terms mm-hmm. of playoff contention. And they are still technically alive. However, I believe most models have the Jets currently with a less than 1% chance to make the playoffs. <laughs> so they are effectively out of it. So you're saying um, there's a chance, though, like at least if Aaron Rodgers, you know what I mean? Like he could be that that 1% chance. He could be the 1%. Well, but could he? Because (laughs) if he started playing right away, Mm. then maybe. Maybe he would be able to do it. But here's the thing. 
Rogers is is gonna practice, but he's not cleared for contact. He's gonna be you know going through what I imagine is kind of the Russell Wilson like manifestation pregame ritual. He might do a little bit of that on right. the sideline. He might crack some jokes with Nathaniel Hackett. They might toss a couple Austin Powers references back and forth. But he's going to be a really limited participant in practice, at least according to to how Robert Sala made it sound. And so good for him for getting himself to a point where he can, you know, throw a football on air. But we have no evidence that he's doing anything meaningful in terms of simulating what actual NFL gameplay is like. Um, And look, it wouldn't be the most unlike Aaron Rodgers to do this. Maybe to kind of just be around the team, try to put some pressure on Zach Wilson or, or Tim Boyle or whoever it is at this point to try to pull it together. Maybe see if they can creep back into the conversation somehow. But I also don't think that it would be beyond Darren Rodgers to do this just so that he can sort of say, I completed the comeback. I, yeah. you know. Suck it, doctors. I made it happen, but we weren't alive, so I just wasn't able to come back. And then he would actually come back for minicamp, which is like exactly the standard timeline for Achilles recovery. Um, So that would just, I don't know. It seems a little too perfect to me. Yeah, which is what we have talked about since this all started to come out. Aaron Rodgers has the perfect, you know, out, so to speak, because he can say we weren't in playoff contention. I was ready to rock. I was ready to roll. I was ready to get out there. I defied all of these doctors who have been lying to all of you this entire time. I mean, it it is exactly what he would want. I mean, it it is so perfectly set up for Aaron Rodgers, and the PR machine continues to churn out these stories. And uh, I need to see that videotape, Nora. You know, the, the tape that he apparently sent to the Jets and they were all wild, you know. They, they were mouth favorite. agape at the idea of, of Aaron Rodgers at this stage. I need that video, and if I see that video, maybe I buy into the hype a little bit more. But um, it seems all a little bit ridiculous to say the least. Uh, but that's the Aaron Rodgers saga so far uh, in New York with the Jets. Uh, Nora, where can we find all your amazing work where you talk about the NFL and beyond here at The Ringer? TheRinger.com, The Ringer NFL Show feed, uh, Dual Love Threat it. with Stephen Ruiz twice a week. And at home, listening to Taylor Swift. I love it. I love it so much. Nora, thanks so much for being on the show, and we will see you next week. Appreciate you. Thanks, Tate. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. Joining us now, you've seen him on the show before, and you've seen him all over the Ringer universe and beyond. Waz, what's going on, man? Great to see you. I'm good. Happy to be back on, brother. Yeah, I wish I was in the studio with you. We had some car trouble today that we're dealing with, but we're making things work here on Through the Ringer. You know what it is. We got to make things happen, and we got to talk about the uh, the NBA in season tournament because there is a lot of conversation about this. People are excited. Um, you know, a lot of people talked about the courts originally, but I feel like we've gotten past that at this point. But we got to talk <laughs> about some of the best teams in the NBA right now, and one of them is the number one seed in the Western Conference, and we have to go to Minnesota to talk about this team. Uh, the Timberwolves right now are. Cont- Contenders, um, to say the least, they're plus three thousand to win the NBA Finals. Anthony Edwards plus twenty six hundred to win uh, MVP this season. Let's start there. How do we feel about the Timberwolves? Are we believing? Do we believe the hype so far? 
I do. I do. I have to believe the hype because they're getting it done on the defensive end primarily, right? right? Uh, And they have the talent to do so. And also, the guys who aren't necessarily, or we don't necessarily think of them as these defensive-minded kind of players, even a Carl Towns, the Mm -hmm. effort that he's given on a night-to-night basis on a defensive end, uh, whatever message they gave him going into the season has gotten through. Obviously, Rudy is a generational defensive player. uh, And Edwards takes defense very seriously. It's just up and down the roster. It's just been incredible to see the team unity on that side of the ball. Yeah, and a lot of people are talking about the offense, right? When they talk about the Pacers, the Pacers have been setting trends as this offensive juggernaut, but they're not talking about the defense of the Timberwolves. And to be quite frank, McDaniels and Edwards are probably the two best perimeter defenders that Gobert has ever had um, around him and to surround him. And right now, when you have those two guys, I joke that it reminds me of Jordan and Pippen, like the young version of them with Anthony Edwards and McDaniels. But do you see that? Am I I crazy or is that too, too much hyperbole? No, I, I absolutely agree with you, especially with Mc, Jaden McDaniels, because he, outside of Rudy, has, going back to last year, been a legitimately a legitimate all-NBA defensive level of player. He takes his mm-hmm. matchups so personally on a night-to-night basis on, when he's guarding one-on-one, but even as a help defender, he's shown himself to be pretty valuable. Um, and so, yeah, no, the Jordan and Pippen comparisons make sense. Obviously, Mike wanted to actually won a defensive player of the year award. Um, Scotty, his whole career was known as an all-time great defender. Obviously, that's a, a gold standard, a platinum standard. But for today's NBA, as far as wing defenders are concerned, uh, they're, they're at the top of my list of any duo that we have in the NBA. And if you you know have a team that wants to contend in the NBA right now, you need a big who can guard Jokic. So they have that box checked by having Gobert on their team. And a lot of people obviously made comments and made jokes and made snide remarks last year about that trade. But right now, it's looking like uh, you know it's something to to kind of uh, you know keep an eye on to say the least. And you got a guy there now running the team who came from Denver, the NBA champion, so he knows the makeup of that roster and that team. So there's a lot of gamesmanship ahead between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Denver Nuggets. Let's go to the Eastern Conference. Let's talk about the hottest team in the NBA. Everybody is talking about the Orlando Magic. We even had a Miami Heat moment where, you know, Jalen Suggs and Cole Anthony pulled a Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. What are your thoughts on the Magic and, uh, you know, this eight-game win streak they got going right now? I hate to sound like a broken record, but again, it's defense. Uh, Mm. But these guys are doing it differently than Minnesota in the sense that top to bottom, they have all of these rangy, long athletic, active wing guys. Uh, And they are just, they're all over the place with an amoeba-like defense. Um, Sometimes you might see guys, five guys helping into the paint and then immediately, you know, closing out hard on shooters. Like the average NBA team doesn't have the personnel to put that those kinds of possessions together, right? Where you are, you know, stifling rim attacks and not giving up open threes simultaneously like that's that's kind of the holy grail of NBA defenses and I think it starts at the point of attack with Jalen Suggs honestly um he's he's been a high effort point of attack sort of guard defender even going back to his rookie year but this year he's become even more disruptive um he's helping out on the boards he's just been incredible and 
to sort of buttress that elite-level defense that he's given him, he's finally making a shot. He can finally put the ball in the damn ocean, uh, which is nice, which, which has got to be heartening for them. Even the rookie, um, Tony Black, has been incredible on the defensive end as a rookie, which is something you don't see all the time. And this is, again, before we even get into Paolo, before we even get into France, these guys have buy-in on the defensive end. And so, yeah, I think you got to give credit to the coach and the front office for the way they've assembled, us, both assembled the team and coach up, coached up the young guys. It did feel like when they, you know, brought in the young guys, you know, even a perfect example of this, right? They draft Cole Anthony 15th, the first round pick the next year. They take Jalen Suggs. These guys, you know, in theory would play the same position. It did feel like they were almost competing with each other more so than competing with teams they played in the NBA. And now, you know, you fast forward, you know, a year and some change later, they're throwing alley-oops to each other. They're best friends with each other. It does feel like this team, like the economy of shots and the roles have been defined. And when I see that happen, I immediately go to the coach and I go to Jamal Mosley. Is he one of those guys that, you know, are we talking about him enough as the coach of the year candidate front runner right now? Yeah, I, I don't think he's gotten a lot of attention. One, he's just a pretty low profile guy to begin yeah. with. And then two, let's face it, the Orlando Magic, Orlando not exactly the mecca of NBA <laughs> basketball, right? Uh, right? It's not some huge media market as well. And so everything they do has been kind of under the radar, but it'd be hard to argue against it. I think people like my my, my partner, Justin Verrier, have been have had a sick obsession and fascination with this team as, as well as other NBA Twitter hipsters have been on the <laughs> magic for a while going back to last year. But I don't think anybody foresaw, foresaw them, you know, sort of leapfrogging into the top four or top of the conference this year. And so it's been a pleasant surprise. And generally, Coach of the Year goes to the team where we thought you were going to suck and you're better than we thought. And I think Orlando qualifies for that. Yeah, the hipsters are going to be upset about our next conversation point because we're going to talk about the two best teams actually in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we're going to talk right. about the Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> and the Boston Celtics right now. That series is tied at one-to-one on the season. They are going to play each other tonight, so this would be the the rubber match between these two teams. Right now, if you were to kind of decide who is the better of these two teams in the Eastern Conference, are you buying in on the Boston Celtics? I know that's the company man answer right now. Or are you buying in on the Philadelphia 76ers? Well, I would say the team that's put together the better resume thus far is the Boston Celtics. Mm -hmm. uh, just on both ends of the floor, they've looked like a pretty well-rounded, well-balanced team. Not a lot of easy weaknesses to attack, again, on either end of the floor. Good rim protection, good perimeter uh, attacking on defense. And then on offense, obviously, they've been super committed to this five-out stuff and so long as Derek White has been on the floor they have just looked incredible cuz he's the one guy who's been able to supplement all the one-on-one -on -one scoring with some level of ball handling, connecting, playmaking on that end of the floor. Obviously, Maxi uh <laughs> I've been calling him Max me all season long. <laughs> um he was smart to turn down the deal that they offered him. His play has been indicative of somebody who is going to get a max contract this offseason, going to make an NBA all-star team, might even make an all-NBA team if, mm -hmm. you know, the chips fall in the right way. And so Philly's been a great story to start the season. And Maxi has been, you know, basically the shining light of this thing. Embiid is playing at an MVP level. Again, I think 
the thing about somebody like Embiid, who's been in the MVP conversation over and over, it becomes this thing where it's like, all right, just show me in the playoffs, right? And that's mm-hmm. not to say he hasn't been great. It's just that the Maxi thing has just been off the charts and been such a pleasant surprise. But as far as who's been the more well-rounded, who's put the best tape on the floor this season, it'd be hard to argue against the Boston Celtics at this point. Yeah, I think that was the right answer there. Was the next one we have? We have a Diver at Phoenix, which is a, both these teams have not played each other yet this season. Uh, Devin Booker, Michael Pina, our guy, wrote a story about him being the best point guard in the NBA. There's some Halliburton hipsters out there who would be upset about you know that designation, but we'll leave that be for the time being. Uh, but Denver at Phoenix, what do we expect in this game? Um, do we think that Nurkic versus Jokic? Obviously, both these guys used to be in Denver with each, with each other. Is there any sort of gamesmanship going on there? Do we buy into the hype that Phoenix? can kind of upset the champs tonight? Um, Look, Denver's going to be playing on a back-to-back. They waxed the Houston Rockets last night at home in a game that I watched <laughs> every single minute of. And they basically cruised to that victory. I don't think it's going to be you know, too much of a slog for them. I, the, the Rockets never really challenged them. I think they'll be fresh for tonight. And I think Denver is one of those teams, they play up to their competition. And having played Phoenix in the second round of last year's playoffs, they're going to want to send a message to these guys. Jamal Murray finally came back from that hamstring aggravation that he had. And he looked pretty good himself last night. I just think when the Nuggets are at full strength and they're taking their opponents seriously, I find it hard to believe that they'll actually lose. And so, yeah, I I, I like what Phoenix has done. They've been able to right the ship, even despite all these crazy injuries up and down the roster, especially to Bradley Beal, who was supposed to be their key acquisition in the offseason. But yeah, I I think Denver is going to kick their butts tonight. Yeah, we see Jokic kind of take it up a level at times. He he Always. is a uh, he's a very smart player, very savvy and, guy. And he loves but, playing against those Balkan boys. You know, mm-hmm. he just loves when he gets to go up against the Eastern Bloc, <laughs> a fellow Eastern <laughs> Bloc native. It's kind of funny to see, honestly. He feels like he's playing FIBA basketball again, and he almost, exactly. you know, he, he just takes it up and plays for his national country at some level. Yeah, there you go. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the struggling Golden State Warriors and the in-season tournament. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. Still here with Waz, and we're talking NBA basketball as we like to do here at the Ringer. And let's start with the team that we've been talking about for over to, over a decade at this point, and that, of course, is the Golden State Warriors, once light years ahead of everybody else in the NBA. And right now, they have lost eight of their last ten games. What is the the? How do we remedy this situation, Waz? Like, what is the answer for the Golden State Warriors right now? Is there's only two answers? Either the guys that are in house play better. I'm looking at you, Clay Thompson. I'm looking at you, Andrew Wiggins. Or right. they make a deal to bring in to to upgrade the talent. Because Steph is still playing at an insanely high level. He's 
right there with his peak levels. In fact, when you watch the game, so much so that teams are diverting extra resources to try to stop him. He still attracts a ton of attention, but behind that, he's just not getting the level of production that he needs. Andrew Wiggins has been the most disheartening, especially because it seems like his effort has waxed and waned um, throughout the course of the season. Every now and again, especially recently, he's looked like he's been a little bit more reinvigorated, but even still, sometimes a shot, and I'm talking about great shots, wide open mm-hmm. shots, haven't really been falling. Clay Thompson, he just looks bad. I think the contract dispute has gotten to him. It seems to be affecting his play. Uh, he's just not playing the way that we would expect him to play. Even, we're not talking about pre-injury Clay Thompson here. Right, we're talking about you know 2022 uh, playoffs version of Clay Thompson. You know uh, that guy was a very valuable piece, made huge shots when they needed him to. Uh, he just hasn't met that level, and now you compound that the Chris Paul injury is looking pretty serious, and so is the Gary Payton the second injury, and so their role guys who have been actually playing well are now you know, going to have to take some time off. So it's it's looking pretty dire over there in Golden State right now. Yeah, and Andrew Wiggins was the second best player on the team when they won that championship in 2022. Easily. I think a lot of people forget that that was the case. So they need Wiggins to come back and be in that form at some level. Last year, a lot of off-the-court stuff kept him from being on the court. So there's just a lot going on there with the Golden State Warriors and a lot to figure out. And if you're Mike Dunleavy, I mean, he was left with a very difficult job. Bob Myers said, sayonara, I'll see you guys later. Good luck with the clay contract. Good luck with trying to piece together this team uh, in the late stages of the splash brothers era so tough to be a Warriors fan right now but if we know anything about Steph Curry it's like as soon as everybody seems to be off them right and you start getting Barkley talking about you know this guy's going to be delivering me Uber Eats in a couple months right as soon as those quotes start coming out (laughs) it's like it gives fuel to the fire for this Golden State team and they come back better than ever so I wouldn't write them off just yet let's talk about the play-in tourney because uh, the the quarterfinals start on Monday uh, December 4th and we got the odds in front of us the favorites of course the Boston Celtics at plus three. You got the Bucks there at plus 350. Are we reading into anything here that the Eastern Conference has the top two favorites in the in-season tournament? I mean, those are the what most people would consider the two best teams, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pacers, as nice as their season has been, uh, nobody thinks they're of the caliber of those two teams. The Lakers have been very up and down. Um, the Pelicans, I mean, come on. Uh, you know, they've been a roller coaster themselves. I, I don't I, I think that's correct to see the Bucks and the Celtics as the class of that playing group. Um I, I think the games, however, individually are gonna be fantastic. Um, but I, I if if I were a betting man, those would probably be my two picks right there as far as favorites to come out on top in this thing. Have you been a fan of the tournament? I mean, I've seen a lot of people. There's always, there's like the reality that we live in, the world that we live in. Then there's the Twitter conversations that happen. The Twitter conversations (laughs) are saying that the tournament is a a rave success. Give Adam Silver his flowers. You know, let's bend the knee. This is the best thing to happen in basketball. Do we think that the general fan has been watching and keeping up with this tournament? And do you think it actually has made some waves in that sense? I think the I think there's only been a marginal increase in ratings for the in-season tournament games and the regular games, but that's this it's a brand new thing. You have to bring people into the product, right? And I think the first step of that um is 
<laughs> the first step of that is delivering a compelling basketball, like actually competitive <laughs> games, guys yeah. going really hard in these games. And once you can sell that to people, Tate, uh, then I think people will come. Like people just needed to be convinced that the players themselves were taking these games seriously. And there's no there's no way you can even if you're the biggest in-season tournament skeptic, you can't deny that they've played hard and taken this seriously. And if you are a fan of basketball, then you're going to be a fan of the best players in the world trying their hardest to win games. Yeah, and one of those guys that was, you know, playing more minutes and playing great basketball, all NBA level basketball from my vantage point is De'Aaron Fox with the Sacramento yes. Kings. The Kings are right there at plus 490. They have the third best odds to win the in-season tournament. Is this a moment where this Sacramento Kings team can kind of send a message to the rest of the NBA that we're a real true contender? Last year was no fluke. You know, we are actually going to be here and we're going to take that next step. Absolutely. I think not only are they a really talented bunch, I think they have a game-breaking centerpiece in De'Aaron Fox. I think back in the days, there was a lot of questions about, ah, is he like a fringe all-star kind of guy? Is he really the man to, to, to sort of carry a team? What, what, what is he like in the clutch? Uh, can he ever make a mid-ranger? Nowadays, those questions are silenced. Mm -hmm. um, his jump shot is for real and nobody can stay in front of him and the guy plays with a motor and is hyper competitive and that's what I like about this group they're just a super competitive group we saw that in the last group stage game against Golden State where they go down big early at home and they just fight back and at no point did you think that group was going to give up and so they play together they're very talented they're very hungry there's no way you should be sleeping on the Sacramento Kings in the in-season tournament. Yeah, my three most, uh, like the three most American young players that I want to protect at all costs right now. Uh, Anthony Edwards, of course, De'Aaron Fox, right there, number two, right neck and neck with him, and Zion Williamson. Those three guys, we need to protect them at all costs and make sure that they're playing FIBA basketball for the sake of USA basketball. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. I do have a, a fun question for you, Waz. If the Knicks were to they're they're obviously like you know we got we got all conversations about the Knicks all the time but if they were to win the in-season tournament do we think that they hang a banner like next to the Billy Joel banner in Madison Square Garden like is this or, or even the Lakers like what if the Lakers win do they hang a banner next to the actual NBA championship banners like do, do we get in that mud and do we make that happen <laughs> So the Lakers, I don't know because they have an actual history of hanging banners of actual <laughs> things of importance like championships. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about the Lakers, but the Knicks who have literally won nothing forever, um, I, I don't see why they wouldn't. And I think their fans would actually be super into it because uh, to be honest, if you talk to any Knicks fan right now, they're very happy about the sustained competence that they've had for the last three seasons, right? And so... This would just be another, you know, feather in that cap of like, wow, we have a real NBA team. We're competitive every single night. We went out to Las Vegas in games that were hyper competitive against teams that are have serious aspirations, and we came out on top. That would absolutely be something to celebrate. And I think the rabid Nick fan base would be more than happy to do that. Yeah, we saw them after they won that one playoff game when Derrick Rose had 27 points celebrate like they won the NBA championship. So I think they would hang that banner. I think that's a fair point. Will you be in Las Vegas? Will you be there for the in-season tournament? Yes, or is, I, yeah, I, okay. I will be there for the semifinals and the finals. I'm really excited 
to be at the very first version of this. Um, I'll be able to tell my grandkids that I was there, you know, when Aaron Neesmith <laughs> made his first basket of the in-season tournament. Oh, I love when history happens right before our very eyes, Waz. I can't believe it. it's actually happening. Uh, Waz, thanks so much for coming to the show. Where can we find all your amazing work here at The Ringer? Of course, check us out, uh, The Ringer NBA Show, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast platforms. And then, um, yeah, everything else is at TheRinger.com. Yeah, TheRinger.com, a great place to go. We appreciate everyone tuning in. This has been Through the Ringer. We will see you next Tuesday with Cousin Sal. Thanks, everybody.